0: it's it's a lovely feeling to share the story and what's really important for me is to show people that you know 10 years down the line of course this is always going to stay with me and it's part of me and i'm actually you know i'm grateful for that and it's it's i wouldn't want it any other way now but there is there is definitely hope life will be good again if you if you embrace it there is so much to live for
1: welcome to the social fabric podcast with me andrea splendori and this week my guest is beatrice Caffrey. Originally from Germany, Beatrice has been living in Ireland for the last 10 years, and she shares her, her story very candidly with me, and I'm so grateful to her for it. Please subscribe, share, and review. It's the only way podcasts like this have a chance to survive. The songs in this podcast have been shortened for rights reason. The program is also broadcast every week on Near FM 90.3 and Flirt FM. For more information, please visit andreasplendori.com. The title tune is Alice by Loki Bones. Can I call you up, oh Alice, on a Friday night? We could reminisce on old days and we could talk a while. Just sit and talk a while. It's so long now since yes yeah. you know the way it works anyway it's very my 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 style is very simple it's just a chat that's and great we'll get there. yeah so Beatrice Caffrey first of all thanks Emilian, for agreeing to have a chat with me thanks for having me I'm delighted and uh, I'm gonna do something completely different because you you've been listening to the podcast I think for a while on yes. my podcast so you've kind of an idea how and uh, the conversation uh, shapes but this time I'm going to ask you something completely different. Oh, God. To get started. What would you like to start to talk about? Because I have loads of things here written down that I want to ask you. But what would you, what would you start with?
0: Uh, see, I thought you'd start off with, but Beatrice, tell me a little bit about yourself. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I could do that, but you start whatever you like.
0: So, uh, Beatrice Caffrey, I'm 52 years old. I have to always remind myself, yeah, it's 52. It's a bit blurry at that stage. Uh, I was born in Germany. Grew up there in kind of between Hanover and Düsseldorf. For anybody who knows Germany, usually I just say Hamburg because it's easier. Um, my I grew up with my mom and my sister. My dad actually passed away when I was very young. I was four years old. He uh, he drowned while we were on holidays in Italy, actually. Mm. And um, so I was four. My sister was seven. And I think the reality is that when you're four, you don't actually remember the person very well afterwards. You know, it, at some point, unfortunately, you forget. But um, I think for my sister, it was definitely a lot more traumatic. But for myself, it was then growing up just with my mom and my sister was just was the norm. That's the way it was. So I didn't see it as anything particularly difficult or or, or or yeah so I think that that maybe can sometimes be a bit surprising for people but I think it just depends on the age that you are when when this kind of thing happened. Um, so after that I had a relatively happy childhood growing up in a small town which was maybe the size of Greystones where we are now you know we had I went to school locally, walked to school, cycled to school every day, played sports, basketball, tennis, had friends and everything was kind of done in the town and you could cycle everywhere so it was lovely it was kind of countryside so all very flat very easy and um it was quite fortunate that we traveled quite a bit uh during school holidays we uh, used to spend holidays either by the seaside in germany or we would go abroad you know what it's like in in europe you can just sit in the car and drive off and drive to a different country you don't have to get on a plane so we we would take advantage of that regularly but i think i had uh, From when I was in my teenage years, I was quite interested in the outside world, outside of Germany. I was always interested in other countries and from when I was very young, I was interested in working in the hospitality industry and hotels. I found hotels always fascinating, I found that it was like a a theatre, there was always something going on and people were there for different reasons, plus you could work anywhere in the world. So I chose that as my career path when I left school. And um, I wanted to go and study in Switzerland at a hotel management school there, but it was all in French. So I had to go and learn French first. So left school and went to Paris for a year, which was an amazing experience. I went on my own, but actually, as it turned out, there was a friend of mine uh, who had gone to school with me. She was also there and we ended up doing the same thing and having an amazing year, just enjoying Paris and the various nightclubs and doing a bit of studying as well and learning the language but really just enjoying life in Paris and from there then I moved on to Switzerland so to the hotel management school which was in uh, the French part so near the near Lausanne and um, spent two and a half years which were amazing because there were people from all over the world and you could suddenly realize that the world was so big and there were so many places you could go to if you were working in that industry. Um, during that time, went back to Paris for an internship and then another internship on a cruise ship, an Italian cruise ship, actually, the Achille Lauro, which you might remember. I remember Achille Lauro. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> it, was, it didn't have a good history,
1: that ship. <laughs> I know. For all the wrong reasons.
0: <laughs> yes. But not while I was there. I was there. I think it was actually kidnapped the year before. Um, hmm. But the, I was on there the year after. I was there for three months. It was great fun. It was great experience just going through around the, the Mediterranean. Um, working as a um, kind of selling the excursions. And uh, so, you know, when you arrive in the port, you the, the, the um, passengers would go on excursions. So we were selling the excursions. And then when we were in the port, we would take people and the buses and go around. And I had a funny experience one day where I had a half bus, a bus, half of Germans and half Italians. And you couldn't have a worse combination because if you told them, I, had, I told them we had to be back in I don't know, at the bus at 12 o'clock and the Germans would be back at a quarter to 12. And the Italians weren't back at 12.30. So, but uh, I just loved the interaction with all the different, all different people, all different uh, nationalities and cultures. So stayed in Switzerland then for two and a half years, and um then i had during that time I had been on holidays to Mauritius and had met somebody there. so when I finished my studies, I thought, well, I'll try out Mauritius, you know hopefully I mean there, there are some nice hotels there, and hopefully I can find a job as well and you know see see what happens, and moved to Mauritius and ended up staying there for eight years, so my Twenties were spent in Mauritius working in some really nice um luxury resort hotels now you do work very long hours because in those hotels you tend to work six days a week and you work you start at eight in the morning and you finish at ten o'clock in the evening because people are there on holidays so you which is actually nice because you really get to know your your clients or the the guests but you don't really have a life so it was great it was a great experience. I worked with some really fantastic people and Um, you know the the hotel one of the hotels where I worked at we were voted best hotel in the world so you know it was just Mm. an amazing experience from, from, from that aspect and stayed in Mauritius then until 2001 uh so the relate i was in the relationship I was, I was married there for several years which hadn't worked out and i decided then i want to leave the island so it, it, it can be a little small there if you're working and if you're mm. you know a young woman in your late 20s and you're single it's not really the greatest place to be so i moved to singapore from there i loved southeast asia i think it's it was so beautiful and singapore is a great place because again you can travel easily you can go to Indonesia, you can't go to Bali, Thailand all these places are just an hour away. and I stayed in Singapore. I worked there um, was part of the opening team of a five-star hotel and in the in the business district and stayed in Singapore for a year and a half and then decided I actually wanted to come back to Europe. So I had spent enough time away kind of flying my wings and you know it was time to see what was happening in Europe
1: so at this stage <laughs> no no it's it, it's fascinating because um i i guess the the traveling wanting to travel and the more you do the, the the more you want to do because uh, you go from Mauritius to seeing yeah. this there's, there's so much to see and the more you see you want to see more and so now you've been out of germany longer than you were in germany right yeah and um, which is very much like me we're pretty much the same age i'm a year older mm-hmm. than you um and I look about 10 years older than you, <laughs> but, but that's a different story. But what's it like now? You know, that's the question I'm asked all the time, and I'm always curious to ask somebody else. You know, what are you? Are you Irish? Are you Spanish? Are you Singapore? Are you German? Where, where, what are you? I am European.
0: That's my answer. It is hard, <laughs> well, I mean, obviously, it? But, yeah, I still have a, I have a German passport and. It's still the country where I grew up, but it's not a country that I feel close to just mm. because I don't live there every day. Mm. And in the first, I remember in the first year when I left when I left, I think when I moved to Mauritius, the first year there was always the thought: well, if it doesn't work out, I can always go back to Germany. And then after that, it's just well, where can I go next? And you don't want to go back anymore because mm. there it's there is a thrill with. Starting to live in a new country and I've I, I've I find my way very quickly in a new place I can you know, I've, I feel at home very quickly no matter where I go So I suppose, yeah, there's a little bit of Irish now, you know, because I've been here now for ten years I have my husband is Irish. My son Wasn't born in Ireland, but has spent most of his life in Ireland and feels close to Ireland Although he also has a German passport mm-hmm. I got that in. And um, yeah, I think I just feel European. There's a little bit of everything with me.
1: You just say something that really interests me because uh, um, the way you can adapt to a new yeah. country. What do you think is in you that makes you do that? How, you know, the ease of being part of the Irish culture, this Singaporean culture, Mauritians are completely different, three completely different cultures. What is, do you think, in you, that, that the quality that you have? That allows you to do that.
0: I think for me, no matter where I go, I fi- it's really important that I feel at home. I don't want to. I don't want to live out of a suitcase. If I if I decide to move somewhere, I don't want to live out of a suitcase no. for a few months. I want to feel home. Mm. Um, so, you know, I will instantly unpack container or whatever and arrange my house and set everything up. I do that very quickly, and I'll find where the post bo- post office is and where the next supermarket is. I just It just helps me, I think, to settle in very quickly. Mm. Why? I don't know, maybe just over the years, I've learned that it just makes it a lot easier. You know, why fight? Why struggle against the new culture? You know, if you decide to live there, you might as well make the most of it.
1: Absolutely. So you don't seek out other Germans?
0: No, I've never done that. Yeah. And I've been in places and people said to me, oh, you know, come and we'll, you know, we, every whatever, every Tuesday we have German food. And, and I've always been like, oh, but I'm not here for that.
1: Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah, no, that would be very much the way I, I see it. Mm. Now, uh, you gave me a few songs. I don't know any of them. Okay. <laughs> so the first one is Womack and Womack Teardrops.
0: Yes. So that was our song in Paris. Uh, my friend Liz and I, uh, like I said, we spent a lot of time trying to get into nightclubs in Paris and that, that that song came out during that year and it was our song like as soon as that came on we we had to go and dance and it's just a actually I was going to pick a different song um back from that time as a, well. and then this song came on I was a bit undecided and this song came on the radio two days ago and I thought this is the sign that's the song I have to pick so it's just a sign of that or a reminder a memory of that time in Paris and you know to everybody else, if you're young, obviously now with COVID, it's a bit more difficult. But take the time and go abroad and make these make these experiences. And things will go wrong, and and you will miss home and you will miss things. But you will make so many great experiences.
1: curious about um so you, you started this conversation and i really thank you for it just to be very open about your experience you're growing up and the unfortunate mm-hmm. passing of your dad when you were only four and, and and that's what i've been trying to do with this podcast just to really get the real stories out with no judgment no just just to hear the stories and and hopefully somebody listen to can can learn but one thing um, that always struck me um, is the social media and the use of social media. And and I, I'm curious about that from your side in terms of how you use social media, how you share your stories. Because am I correct in saying you share quite a lot on social media? Yes. And tell me a bit more about all of that. And how did you get into and what does it do for you?
0: So I got into social media. It's, for me, it's, it's mostly just Instagram. I, I tried TikTok last year. But I... I can't, just can't do it, and um, so it's mostly uh, Instagram because I always find it. A, a, I have always found it a nice, positive place, um, a place also that probably has replaced magazines because if you're looking for inspiration, be that for your house or food or whatever it is, you can find it all on Instagram. But I started out on Instagram first years ago, just with a personal account where I didn't really have a purpose. My account didn't have a purpose. And I realized after a few years that actually it wasn't making me feel very great because I was always looking at other people and I was influenced by maybe people who were buying new clothes or people who were, you know, at some point I realized everybody was just trying to sell me something. And then I closed that account and I what I was really interested in then, this was kind of about 2015, 2016 I think, I became really interested in food and nutrition and cooking and I started a new account and that was the purpose of my account then. And it's been that ever since. But I do throw other things as well because I think... I think I have other things to share like you say my story about obviously losing my dad very early but also later on losing my son uh, when he was very young and I don't talk about it it's not the main purpose of my account but I have realized that when I do talk about that people are very appreciative and I get a lot of nice messages so I my aim is actually to talk about these kind of things a little bit more in the future and not just about the food.
1: And we'll get to that in seconds. So that's obviously a really important part of your story, and uh, and I'm really keen to hear from uh, from your side. I spoke to Justin, your husband, early in the in, in this uh, podcast yeah. history, and uh, and I heard his side of the story. But let's stick with the with the Instagram at the moment because the the nourished bowl that's your that's your mm-hmm. um, that's your Instagram account, and uh, and tell me a bit more about it because I I. I Look at it, and I steal a few recipes. I've no steal; is the right thing. You put them up there. You share, and so I'm taking them. I'm using. Well,
0: they're open to anybody then, yes. (laughs) So (laughs) I don't think (laughs) there's any copyright on recipes. So,
1: (laughs) so tell me about the interest in food and how you, you know, what is, is it a business? What is what is happening with the with the? I know you do different things with it.
0: Yeah, so it started off just sharing recipes and um so what my 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 lifestyle is mostly plant-based when I say mostly it's the odd time I might have a bit of dairy but I haven't eaten meat or fish in 5 years I think 4 years and and that's just a personal choice. I don't tell people that that's what they have to do because we all have to find our own way. And I also don't believe that we have to do everything you know we have to do in terms of diet 100% you know it can be fluid. You can, you don't have to have the vegan label so, uh I was just interested in obviously I well I obviously I do the cooking at home and I was interested in finding good nutritious recipes with ingredients that can be found, you know, in most shops locally. And it started out, as I said, just sharing the recipes on, on an Instagram and then started a blog or a website, started sharing them there because I, some people would tell me, well, you know, my husband was trying to make a recipe, but he's not on Instagram. So it would be great if you could have them on a website. And so there is actually, there's a very different uh, clientele, if I say, or type of people. Some people love it on Instagram, and other people just don't want to look at recipes on a little square, and they would rather see it on a website or have it printed out. So I do that as well. And I um, last year I did quite a few uh, uh, kind of corporate cooking demonstrations or cooking workshops, which was great fun. Uh, I've done individual private cooking workshops. I did actually I started some at the start of last year in my kitchen. But obviously, then COVID happened, so we had to stop that. So it's all moved online now. And it's great fun because you can connect with people anywhere in the world. And so I do that now. Um, I also create now a lot of content for uh, a lovely lady called Georgie Crawford, who has the Good Glow website. So I create the food content for her on her website. So, yes, it is a business now. Oh,
1: brilliant. brilliant. I'm Mm. delighted. And I know, as I say, I did try a few... um, Recipes and they're great. I, I go for the very simple ones because that's the way I like it. I you like know, I've,
0: that's one thing I've learned over the last month or year or so that actually it's the simple ones that work the best. So I try not to make it too complicated because there's a very there's very few people that would go for the complicated ones, but most people just want the simple ones.
1: But for anybody listening that has, I mean, that's obviously become your passion as well as yeah. something you study. You you did some some research. You don't just and you're good. I, you know, I taste mm. your food. The food is great. Thanks. Um, it's yeah, genuine, you know. I'm not great at compliments unless I believe in something, and uh, and it's great. But uh, it comes from passion. It comes from a place of interest and passion, and so on. <clears throat> but from what I'm listening, uh, what you're just saying now, it, it's interesting that it it is as well as being a business and hopefully some that's going to grow to wherever you want it to grow is not. That's not the main drive. Well, what is the main drive behind for you? Is it more like connecting with people? Is it more sharing what you find it? or
0: it's definitely uh, connecting with people and that has happened kind of organically over the last year or two that I've connected with people and I, and I think that can be fantastic with Instagram I know it gets a lot of bad um, you know it gets a bad reputation and even my husband will tell me I spend too much time on it but I have met people through Instagram I've made friends through Instagram and I've or I've reconnected with people that I pr- worked with 10-15 years ago and It's fantastic to see what they're doing now. And and we kind of could even work together now as a friend of mine who, who is a personal trainer in London, and I did some food content for her as well. So, you know, there's so many options. Once you go online, you're not just limited to your own little town.
1: Okay, great. Now, tell me about your next song, which is Future, Last Breath.
0: Yes. So I have a 14 year old son, Luca who uh, is mad into sport, any kind of sport. Well, he plays a lot of football or soccer, but he's, he loves any kind of other sport. So we watch a lot of sport at home. At the moment, it's all Formula One, and obviously it was the Euros, and it was everything that comes on. But he plays a lot of football. He plays for a good team, for Kevin and we tend to spend a lot of time driving in the car to football matches. And this is one of the songs that kind of gets put on before as a sort of motivational song and I like it also I mean I I used to do a lot of running not as much anymore but it's actually great to listen to also if you're out on a run so that's my song for that
1: I was so hard headed at first my grandma didn't even believe in me I kept going though
0: all I can say is I told you Jury at the bank down
1: the bar. You should have never doubted me. I'ma run to my last breath. I'm a hustle to my last breath. Yeah, yeah. yeah I think we need to talk about the, the, the what is important to you and obviously to Justin and what has been a major a major change in your in your life. Um it was the loss of your son, um Joshua. Um so tell me a bit more about what what would you like to share because I know you like you guys have been sharing as much as possible in in, in different ways and it's and 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 my understanding is that there is a lot of help um, to other people listening to whatever whatever vehicle you use whether it's your Instagram yeah. account or something like this podcast so tell me a bit about that and how you would like to put it out there just in your own yeah words. I
0: think I actually I don't think I have spoken about it that much Justin has spoken about it a lot on different podcasts and, and and or different talks that he does and it's not that I didn't want to talk about it it's just maybe the opportunity wasn't there but I every time I did I know it has helped a lot of people so it's also something I really think I should speak more about so i so luca was born in 2007 after that we really want we were trying to have another baby i had three miscarriages and we just thought you know what we have one child it's fantastic let's just stick you know stay with that and obviously as it happens then once you say you're not gonna try anymore then you get pregnant again and then it it, it worked and i was pregnant and uh we lived in the UK at that stage, we, uh, we lived in the south of the UK near Chichester, um, Justin had share, sold the shares in his business so we were, he had kind of a time where he was not limited in terms of where he had to work and we had this, so Luca was about two at the time and we had this idea well maybe we could move to Spain or maybe we could move to Portugal and you know start a new life there and, and you know in a warmer climate. So we went on holidays for a week to Spain to look at some houses as we do and I was 26 weeks pregnant uh, like I said we just went on holiday for a week and during that week my waters broke and I was on that day then admitted to hospital. I didn't go into labor but I was admitted to hospital and after two days I was then told that I would have to stay in hospital for eight weeks until 34 weeks when it would be safe to induce me and it would be safer for the baby to be born. So that was obviously a bit of a shock because we thought, well, we were actually going to go and travel back home in a week. And suddenly we were, we found ourselves in Malaga with, with, with a two-year-old and me in hospital. Uh, but as it happened, then a week later, Joshua decided he needed to come out. So he was born by emergency caesarean at 27 weeks, but he was deprived of oxygen for quite a bit during the birth. So suffered um, quite a lot of problems now we were actually told in the first hours that he wasn't going to survive and he he did so he survived the first night and then the, the doctor said well we'll see you know we don't really we really don't think he has a lot of hope because we had to resuscitate him at birth and you know it it's looking quite bad but he survived the first night he survived the second night and the third night and then they said well he seems to be coming out of it and and, and they said well, but we don't know In you know long term there could be problems so at that stage we were in the uh, pediatric hospital in, in in Malaga he was in the neonatal intensive care unit and um, they said but you know we don't know long term what the issues could be and I, I, I remember saying well what, what do you think what could be the issues and they said well you know maybe he could have a problem moving his arm you know and I thought oh that's okay I can deal with that but obviously I never thought that it could be due to cerebral palsy you know the, that there could be much bigger problems and um so the problems he ended up having was that he um so he had cerebral palsy and he was very delayed in his development because he couldn't swallow his brain couldn't compute the whole swallowing reflex so he couldn't feed he had to be fed by a tube into straight into his stomach and he also had very weak lungs which is not unusual for uh, premature babies so he was oxygen dependent and um ended up staying in the intensive care unit for six months in Malaga. There had been a very small window where it would have been okay to transport him by ambulance to the UK, but then I have to say the staff and the the hospital in Malaga were absolutely fantastic. Uh, We couldn't fault them in anything. And we decided to stay because at some point we thought, well, you know, we wanted to move to Spain. You know, (laughs) here we are now, so let's stay here and see how this works out. But his development was just really slow and he uh, we kept going back into hospital with him because he kept getting uh bronchiolitis for example even in the midst of summer in spain and i remember the doctor saying to me well he's getting it now you know what's he going to be like in winter when all the babies have it and we got to christmas 2010 joshua at that stage was um eight nine months old about and he was admitted back into hospital on christmas eve with pneumonia and it turned out that uh so in the months before there had been several occasions where he had to be intubated intubated because his lungs had collapsed and it's a very severe process because the tube has to be forced in and at that stage then the doctors said after they had done so he sorry so he was he was admitted to hospital on christmas eve christmas day actually we were back home uh, in the morning and we thought okay he's looked Joshua is looked after now and we um you know we would just enjoy Christmas morning with Luca who was three then I think you know when Christmas just kind of starts to be important and then we got a, a call from the hospital saying we had to come in straight away uh they wouldn't tell us why they just said we the doctors want to see you immediately we drove in and so he had to be intubated because his lungs had collapsed within an hour he, <clears throat> he had to be intubated and they had just told they had told us to come in because they have to tell you that they're going to carry out this procedure because it's a dangerous procedure and it can go wrong but once it's come, it's done then he so he was stable then for a few days but they said if this happens again we're not going to do this again because he's been through too much and he had been you know this has been 8 months so much time in hospital in the intensive care unit so many times intubated you have to ask yourself the question at some point is this the right thing still to do? You know, what are we doing to him? What are the consequences of all this? And, um, he was with us then for another three weeks where we literally just shut down everything and just focused on, on us. And we actually had a lovely three weeks, just Justin, Luca, myself, um, Justin's parents at the time came over as well for a few days. My mom came over for a few days. Um, and it was actually a really nice period just to focus on. We didn't know at that stage how long he would be with us. Um, the doctors couldn't really tell us anything. In the end, it turned out to be three weeks. And he, he died with us at home. At that stage, we were renting a house outside of Malaga. He died with us at home. And, you know, if you can say it, it was a beautiful, a beautiful death. You know, it was, mm. you know, it's 10 years ago. And I can talk about it now in this way because... it it took me a long time to to get to this stage but you have to think about also what does it mean for your family what does it mean to your other child when like the whole year was only spent looking after Joshua and being in hospital with him the whole time we did nothing with Luca during that year because there was just no time for him and and we often thought if we actually if we had been in the UK they may not have even gone for that long they may have called the plug. sorry to use that word but they might have stopped much earlier because how how long can you do these kind of procedures to a little baby
1: it's um yeah it's an extraordinary story and uh, i'm i'm glad you can talk about it the way you're talking about it now and uh, but i can't help but think uh, of you as a four-year-old and your mom and now you and your son you know he's three three and a half and and there's this um And as a mother, well, you know, that's you just said, you know, that's the next thing is I have a family to look after because that's it. That's your job, right? That's what you do.
0: Yes. And it's interesting because children go through grief at very different stages. When Joshua died, Luca didn't know the word death. It didn't exist in his vocabulary. He didn't know what that meant. And I still remember the moment. And I think it was probably a year later where he suddenly understood what had happened. Mm -hmm. Um, I could see he didn't say anything but I I can't remember the exact circumstances but I could could see it suddenly in his eyes and he sort of went into himself a little bit for a few hours and I think that was the moment when he understood and you have to help them in, in the years after he was still too young to understand really the circumstances you know he how long, how long are you supposed to be pregnant? How long is a baby supposed to be in hospital? And, and, you know, what actually happened? And that, that takes years until they actually get to that stage and understand it. And I know it's, we actually had a, a chat a, a while, a few years ago with a um, bereavement counselor. She was working specifically with children because she said to me, but, you know, when you were a child, you must have been absolutely traumatized by 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 your father's death. And I probably was in a way, but I, I honestly believe that because I was so young, I wasn't really able to understand what happened. And it was in a way that protected me. Mm. You know, if I, I think for my sister, it was a lot more difficult. And I think if Luca had been older, it would have been a lot more difficult. And you had Katrina Holt... Um, on your episode on an episode and she was talking about her son calvin who mm. where she could see that he had to go through that stage as well and he was a lot older so yeah it really depends on the age of the child and you have to kind of move along with them and we always said if we felt that any of us you know myself justin or Luca, if we needed any help there is so much help out there you know go and get help mm. don't don't try and do it on your own if you're struggling with it
1: Yeah, and that was my question, because uh, you said earlier, we all deal with grief uh, in different ways at different stages. And, you know, it takes longer to sink Mm -hmm. in or or, uh, and there is help out there. It's important that how important is to talk about it for you?
0: I think it's important. It's very important, but you have to be ready for it. So in the, um, so after Joshua died, Joshua died in January, 2011, and we decided then to move to Ireland because we, obviously Justin is from, from Dublin and there was family here. And we thought actually, we had then decided we weren't going, we weren't going to try for any more children because I thought, you know, miscarriages before. And now there's, I can't take any more trauma when it comes to pregnancy and birth If you can guarantee me that I have a healthy baby, I'll do it. But nobody can guarantee you that. So we decided that that was going to be it. And we thought, well, actually, you know, there's family, there are cousins. So let's move to Ireland and see how that works out. And we arrived in March 2011. And uh, we got a dog soon after that, our first golden retriever. And I started walking with him. And I wasn't ready to talk about what had happened. There was so much. Don't forget, this also happened in a different country. Yeah, with a different language. It was all in Spanish, and uh, our Spanish wasn't great when we arrived. But then you find yourself suddenly discussing the 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 state of the the, the brain of your child with a uh, with a with a with a doctor in Spanish, and you think, how the hell did this happen? Where how did we get here? And um, so when we arrived in, in in Ireland, I definitely had a moment where I just needed to kind of understand how how did did I go from going on holidays for a week to suddenly living in a different country not having gone I loved living in the UK back then we had a lovely house I never wanted to leave so it took me quite a while to kind of find myself and and um, find my life here in Ireland and the thing was that because we moved here i didn't know anybody so i didn't really have anybody to talk to back then so i started walking the wicklow mountains the width and breadth of the wicklow mountains with the puppy and started listening to podcasts actually back then and uh the ones i loved back then was desert island discs because within an hour you learn so much of the life of different people and i realized that so many people have lived through difficult situations like that and you realize you're not you are not. this doesn't just happen to you there are there are plenty of other people that this kind of stuff happens to and you can make it through that Mm. but i needed to be on my own i wasn't ready to talk to anybody and um yeah i really enjoyed hiking back then loved it is when every time so we at first we were renting a house in inniskerry so that whole area kind of past Enniskerry then Powerscourt and going towards Roundwood that whole area of the Wicklow Way is really really special to me because I spend so much time there and just talking to myself and you know having having a good cry sometimes and listening to nice podcasts and just exploring the area I mean now we live by the seaside which is fantastic as well but I still love that area over there in the Wicklow Mountains.
1: That's interesting. You mentioned Desert Island Discs. Is uh, that's where obviously I got the idea from the songs and all that I stole it uh, from from yeah. them. But uh, and that's really what inspired me uh, and the thought of. I always said I want to speak with uh, ordinary people about extraordinary things, and mm. that's really that's what I'm trying to do. And this uh, this is one of those um, stories for me. Uh, we'll talk a bit more about that, but tell me about this strange song opening Far From. Tell me more about Far From.
0: Far From the Madding Crowd.
1: The Crowd. I By love.
0: I love movies and I love books as well. I, I kind of refound my love for books. Um, I used to read a lot before the arrival of the smartphone and then I kind of lost the interest a bit. What? Well, just got distracted and now i find book found books again but i also i love a good movie and i love a movie that has a good soundtrack and, it, and sometimes if you have that experience it can stay with you for days and this is one of my favorite movies far far from the Madding crowned. it's the 2015 version there's an older one but this one is just so beautiful and the music is fantastic so if you're looking for a good movie to watch watch that one
1: I'm interested in 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 um, in your son now luca and uh, yes. and because i mean i said it to i think i said it to katrina if the world was dependent on men would be ex- extinct a long time ago and i'm a great believer in that that we just we do find ways to to i don't know to avoid things a lot of <laughs> that's my view as a man and i, I don't say it's for everybody but uh, there is that mother, and we were talking with some friends recently about, you know, as teenagers when you went out and your mother just pointed a finger. That's all she had to do. You knew she knew. <laughs> yes. And you go, how? How does she know what I've just been up to for the last four hours? But you you guys know. And so, tell me, like, it, it's, I mean, three miscarriages and losing your son, that's that's a lot. It takes a lot out of that. Uh, yes anybody, but mm. as a mother. Uh, so what, what's, uh, what's the relationship? Tell me a bit more about you and Luca now. And uh. um, Well,
0: yeah, it takes, it takes a lot. And it's, it's very sad in a way, because you know, you know, when you have one child, you know, you, there's, there's room for more, you know, there, there's room for love for another child. And I, I always wanted to have two or three children, not more than that, I think three would have been enough. But I always wanted to have more. So the choice of having one child or that was kind of a forced choice I would say. And I think that's something also to bear in mind for people when, you know, when you see people with with no children or with one child, it's not always by choice. Sometimes it's just been the way life has dealt you the cards and, and that's what it is. But um yeah, you know, Luca is very much aware of the fact now that he has a brother. He's probably not, I shouldn't really talk for him, but um, he, he probably won't talk about it, but he's very aware of it. And we talk about Joshua at home. Now, again, Luca doesn't remember very much because he was two or three. He doesn't remember very much from Spain. He doesn't, I, I made a little photo album for him just to kind of keep things in mind. But yeah, no, unfortunately he doesn't remember very much. But that's the way it is. You know, You can't, you can't change that.
1: What, what is the importance of keeping that uh, memory alive? What is the importance for, for you as a family?
0: You know, it was such a short period that he was with us. I sometimes think you know, we have so Joshua was cremated and we have his ashes at home. And sometimes I look at the urn and I think that really happened. You know, it, he really was there because he was with us for a short time. You know, we, if if you lose somebody who's been a lot older, you might have memories, the people, the person, you know, you remember a voice or you remember things that the person, the chair where that person liked to sit or what he or she liked to eat or what you like to do together. But we don't have any of these memories. So I think it's important just to remind you of him having been here, having been with us and having given us that extraordinary year in spain yeah, yeah. i'd like to say that spain is a very is a country that's still very special to us so
1: yeah yeah no it's amazing and it's amazing I, I can only i can't even imagine i can't even imagine uh like when we had our first child which was premature and spent a few weeks in hospital but i mean having friends and family around was paramount we were able to move into a friend's house in Blackrock because we were living so far away from the hospital at the time, so little things like that that made a massive difference.
0: Oh, absolutely! So we first rented a house that was about forty minutes from the hospital, because we had met another family there who had they had two little girls that were Luca's age, and they Luca then started in a little Montessori in that town in Spain, and um, but the driving every day to the hospital was a challenge, obviously, and but we were lucky again because we had family coming over, and they were. I don't think they would but they weren't doing it on purpose taking turns but we always had somebody with us and then we got to the stage where we just wanted everybody to go we just wanted to be on our own and as soon as everybody left we would fall apart because we needed we needed help so yeah it's it was definitely a challenge but i I think sorry if i could just it's it's, you know if there's one thing that can make your relationship as a couple together that was definitely the year of of us because we had to make so many decisions together where it was just us, and even with the hospital, we later found out that we had been entitled to a translator, which nobody had told us before um but conversations that we had with doctors and we didn't have anybody to bounce information off. We just kind of had to figure it out ourselves
1: and that's a it's a beautiful way of looking at uh the positive yes and uh, yeah. of anything <laughs> that's amazing um in terms of uh I'm always all about the community and that's Mm. another reason I started this and uh, you guys have been around here Greystones for a number of years now and what are you looking for what how have you created your community and what are you looking for and what are you giving to the community what what is for you this uh, community
0: yeah it's interesting because obviously we have moved so many times and We've always enjoyed moving to different, it's the same for Justin, you know, we've, together, we've lived in different places and different houses, but we've been in Graysons now since 2017, so four years, but we really, really like it here. So we're not leaving anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I'm afraid we're going to stay. Uh, it just has it all. It has, obviously, it has the beach. It has a lovely, just a lovely little town feel. And we've just realized that there's a, I think it was through the sea swimming, the running, the the early mornings on the beach that you find you find a tribe and you find mm. the people that you connect with. And that's been incredible for us, over the, And over especially during the lockdown last year, but even before that. So in the last three, four years, we've just really realized that this is the place for us to stay. So what are we going to give to the community? Well, that's up to us to figure out now.
1: Kind of. <laughs> We'll wait. And wait yes. And see your <laughs> contribution. I'm sure you're already contributing in in, in your own way. Um, Elizabeth Gilbert, Big Magic. What is this? Yeah. So about?
0: Y- you asked me for two for a book, and the, the, my logical brain wanted to tell you. Atomic Habits by James Clear because I, I obviously love that book. I don't know if you know it, but it's it's about habit build, ha- habit stacking, and how to create good habits. And I absolutely love that book. But I also I read this book, uh, Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert last year, and I think especially because I was at a stage where I was kind of creating my website, and um, I just loved how she shows you to give yourself permission to just start creating whatever it is you want to create and don't be afraid of what people think. Don't be afraid of the outcome. Just take it day by day and, and just go for it. So if anybody is hesitating, if they should they do something or whatever it is you want to create, read that book and then just go for it and do it.
1: Brilliant. I will have a look. Sounds mm-hmm. like my kind of book. Um we cover quite a bit. Anna, and I'm absolutely grateful to that you shared your story in such such a uh, lovely way and and, uh, and I could see uh, the listeners can't see your face but I could see your face recounting the and uh, the year in Spain uh, there was a there was a glow there, you know. There was a bit the memories. Well, you know,
0: so you you could say well, there were moments where we said, "Well, at least it's sunny outside; it's warm." <laughs> we were, you know, we were able to. We, like I said, we were in Malaga, and Malaga is just such a beautiful city, and we were able to enjoy restaurants and and just enjoy the the friendliness of the people in Malaga it was just unbelievable.
1: What I want to ask you just to before we finish. Um, and I know you already said it you know, takes time, it took you a number of years to discover the, the Wicklow Mountains before you were able to talk about it. But for people to, um, to hear your story, and I mean, unfortunately, there are people out there going through something similar or yeah. exactly the same. And Just, just give me, uh, what, what did it feel like in the last few minutes when you told me that story, knowing that this is going to go out, to the world and I don't don't have millions of listeners but there'd be enough people listening to it and it could be complete strangers some of them might get in touch with you what what did it feel like to actually tell the story
0: it's it's a lovely feeling to share the story and what's really important for me is to show people that you know 10 years down the line of course this is always going to stay with me and it's part of me and I'm actually you know I'm grateful for that and it's it's I wouldn't want it any other way now but there is, there is definitely hope. Life will be good again if you if you embrace it. There is so much to live for. Um, just go. Don't, yeah. You know, be patient because, like I said, for me it was ten years, but I can look back now and you know I, I, I'm very happy now. I live a very happy life, and and obviously happiness are only short moments. It's not permanently happy, but you know what I mean. It's it's yeah. Have hope, have patience, but you will get there and you will experience joy again.
1: Wonderful. Last thing before I let you go, what are you going to have for dinner tonight?
0: Um,. I don't know, actually. caught me off guard there.
1: (laughs) Okay, what did you have for dinner last night?
0: Uh, Yesterday, I had some tempeh and lots of vegetables and some rice and, um, yeah, trying to focus on more broccoli again at the moment. I know, it's not what you wanted to hear. No, 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 it's funny because
1: I I was a a 10-year-old plant-based and now I'm a born-again meat-eater and um, tempeh, what is that all about?
0: tempeh yeah tempeh is uh, is made from soybeans it's a lean plant-based protein source it's like tofu it scares a lot of people but really it's not scary and um, I'm just watching a little bit at the moment because I probably had taken it a little bit too easy during the lockdown especially the the second lockdown the winter did a lot of cooking and all that so just kind of trying to go for a little bit leaner dinners, especially actually with, with the weather, with the heat that we're having now. So tempeh is made from uh, fermented soybeans and you can... Now, some people don't like the taste, so apparently... I haven't actually tried steaming it, but apparently if you steam it before, then you get rid of this kind of bitter taste. But I just fry it, chop it up, fried it with a bit of soy sauce, a little bit of maple syrup, and then throw in some vegetables and some rice and I'm good to go.
1: I know I said that was the last question, but I do have one more question okay. because I'm curious about... It your young fella that plays football plays rugby plays all the things mm. what's he eating?
0: He's vegan as well no he's bit vegetarian he eats chocolate and jellies <laughs> no he's he made the the, the choice himself uh, a couple of years ago and um but I've never forced forced him to to eat a certain way. But uh, up until recently, if we were to go out to a Chinese restaurant, he would still have had duck pancakes. But I think he's even cutting that now. He uh, no, he's no. I have to say, he happily eats a lot of vegetables. So, but again, that also took a few years.
1: Brilliant, and he's a great footballer. So hopefully, he'll play for Ireland and opposed to and Germany. He's, he's
0: taller than me, and he has a shoe size 46. So you know, growth-wise, it's absolutely fine. <laughs>
1: That's brilliant. Beatrice Caffrey, thanks, Amelia, for your time. Really, really appreciate it.
0: Thanks so much, Andrea. Loved it. Thank you.
1: (laughs) But if I meet you somewhere far down the line, the sun still shines in your hair. Kiss you. Then I'll say goodbye Yeah, if I meet you someplace Far down the line The sun still shines in your face I'll kiss you once Then I'll say goodnight